بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم <تصفيق> الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا وعظيمنا وحبيب قلوبنا وشفيع نفوسنا أبي القاسم محمد وعلى أهل بيته الطيبين الطاهرين وأصحابه الغر الميامين الحمد لله الذي جعلنا من المتمسكين بولاية سيدي ومولاي علي بن أبي طالب الله الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنهتني لولا أن هدانا الله أما بعد يقول الله في كتابه الكريم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ولا تقتلوا أنفسكم إن الله كان بكم رحيما the first of our loud salawat in honor of Rasulullah Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. Allahumma sallam. The second even louder salawat in honor of Imam Amir al-Mu'mineen alayhi salam. A third with your loudest voices in honor of the Imam of our time, Imam Sahib al-Asri wa-Zaman. <laughs> Respected scholars, brothers and sisters, Salamu alaykum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh. Committing suicide is one of the greatest sins in the religion of Islam. By the same time, when you hear of somebody who's committed suicide, it's one of the saddest episodes to ever hear or to ever be narrated for anyone. The reality is at one stage or another in our lives, we may have come across somebody in our own family, somebody in our own community, somebody in our own social circle who's committed suicide. When you hear of that story, it's extremely sad to hear, and in some cases can be overwhelming, as in I've lectured here, and I've heard of a suicide case here. I've lectured in Canada, and I've heard of a suicide case there. I've lectured, for example, in Michigan, and I've heard of suicide case there. I've lectured in Iraq, and I've heard of suicide cases there as well. And when you hear about these suicide cases, many times you'll find that our communities fall into two camps. One camp are those who send someone who commits suicide straight to hell. As soon as you hear, that someone in your community committed suicide, automatically you'll hear people saying that that person will burn in hell. Of course, there may be a justification in terms of why they say that because of, for example, the hadith they may have read. At the end of the day, if I read a hadith that says if anyone commits suicide intentionally, 
then they are to burn in hell and abide there forever. Then how do I go against the words of, for example, Imam al-Sadiq or any of the other Imams of Ahlul Bayt? Then you have the other side of the story, which is that ultimately, who is the judge of that person who committed suicide? At the end of the day, how do I know what happened to that person in their final moments? How do I know what thoughts? How do I know if they were in control of their thoughts? Because when we look in human history, I don't know what went through Robin Williams' mind in his final moments. I don't know what went through Monroe's mind in her final moments. I don't know what goes through Cobain's mind in his final moments. All I see is a report that suicide has been committed. What I do not know ultimately is what are the reasons behind the committing of this suicide. And at the same time, I don't know the state of the mind of the person who's committed suicide. There are some who are firmly in their state of mind when they've committed suicide. And there are others who are not there anymore. As in generally, all of us accept that there's a level of weswesa that affects the human being. The whisperings. قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ مَلِكِ النَّاسِ إِلَاهِ النَّاسِ مِنْ شَرِّ الْوَسْوَاسِ الْخَنَّاسِ الَّذِي يُوَسْوِسُ So we already recognize in Islamic thought that there is a certain whispering that affects the human being. And so we come to a question. That suicide, when it's committed, who ultimately gives the judgment? Further than that, this person who commits suicide, can I go and perform a janazah prayer for them or no? I hear now in Leicester that someone jumped off a building and killed themselves. Is the mosque allowed to have a janazah prayer or a funeral prayer for them or no? Am I allowed to read Surah Al-Fatiha for them or no? Am I allowed to read a dua for them or no? Am I allowed to go to the Qabristan or the Maqbara and visit them every week? At the end of the day, if you're a mother and your son committed suicide, how do you remain oblivious or remain somebody far-fetched or away from your son? That son, in reality, is still part of your life. Can that mother go to the graveyard? Or is it the case that that mother has to remain away from someone? Further than that, if someone commits suicide, have they become a kafir or can they still be classified as a Muslim? Say, for example, I've got a friend of mine and that friend loved Azadari, loved Imam Al-Hussein loved coming to Majalis Al-Hussein looked all right the last time I played football with him or the last time I went to university with him, or the last time I was at work with them, then all of a sudden, two days later, I hear of an incident similar to what's happened to Gary Speed. One minute he's talking about football as the Welsh football manager, the next minute they found that he's taken his life. Therefore, if someone who's Muslim is a lover of Ahlul Bayt and takes their life, does that mean they become kafir or not? Have they left the folds of Islam when they are somebody who commits suicide or not? Reality, my dear brothers and sisters, is every single person in this hall may one day or another have a suicidal thought. I don't care how sane a person looks. I don't care how confident they look. And I don't care how educated they are. At one stage or another, 
your nafs may begin to whisper certain things. Why? Because of the pressure of life, the pressure of community. And there are people here, by the way, who look the most confident. You'll see them walking around, smiling. It's when they go to a dark place at home that the thoughts of suicide come to them. They think it's much be, it might be much easier if I take my life. I will not have to face the burden of people pressuring me. Sometimes you'll find school has an effect on suicide. Sometimes work, sometimes keeping up with the Joneses has an effect. I'm used to living in a house, mansion, going on two holidays a year, and then 2008 hits me. What do I do? I was talking about everything going well. Now I've been hit by a recession. So now you find, therefore, that the Muslim community has to recognize every human being, there's a potential in them for suicidal thoughts. Sometimes all we focus on is the suicide, not the attempted suicide. Suicide rates, you can find, for example, the highest, you'll find countries like Lithuania, Russia, South Africa. Attempted suicides occur very much within Muslim countries. Some people do not go through with them. But then we have to ask ourselves a question. If I'm somebody affected by suicidal thoughts, how do I treat it Islamically? Does Islam have an answer for me? Yes. Islam might say to me it's haram, but that's not enough of an answer. I'm going through pressure in my life, pressure in my work. I want a solution that the Quran and the teachings of Ahlul Bayt, if they are meant to be a guidance for all mankind, I need a solution from them. Are there examples of people who felt like they wanted to die in the Quran? Holy personalities. How did they get out of that mindset just before it was too late? Let us tonight examine and answer the question. Is suicide justifiable within Islamic thought? And if it's not, how does one get out of that thinking process? And I'd like to do this in the following stages. Number one, why is suicide committed or seen as being one of the greatest sins in Islam? What is the core reason? Number two, if God recognizes that we have these tendencies or thoughts, who in the Quran wished upon themselves that they died? And how did they get out of that particular situation? Number three, if my friend commits suicide, Janazah, yes or no? Salah on them, yes or no? Fatiha for them, yes or no? Sadaqa for them, yes or no? Qabristan, yes or no? That's number three. Number four, are there solutions which we need to be aware of when it comes to certain telltale signs of suicidal cases? When someone tells you that I'm thinking of killing myself and then laughs, should we dismiss it or not? Number five, did the Prophet commit suicide or seek to commit suicide? And why does Bukhari tell us that he did think about it a few times? Number six, when the Prophet faced his most difficult moment, when he was being oppressed physically as well as mentally, what did he resort to in his words with his Lord? Number seven, is there a verse in the Quran I can use when I have a problem that is leading towards suicidal thoughts? And what's the best ayah to give anybody to recite once a day as a remedy for suicide? Number eight, have Ahlul Bayt left me with a dua when I'm depressed and anxious, which is a side or complementary to medicine, which I can use. 
And number nine, and of the utmost importance, if I thought my life was hard because I lost a child or two, or because I lost a family member or two, which lady taught us a lesson, keep your head held up high, even if you lost four in Karbala. Let's examine this and dissect the topic in complete depth. First question, why would committing suicide be a great sin in Islam? Why does Imam al-Sadiq say whoever commits suicide intentionally will burn in hell forever? Imagine there are certain sins which the Quran divides into two. There's some sins where you can burn in hell forever. Otherwise, the Quran also says, but there are some who will be in hell until Allah wills. Sometimes you'll see an ayah saying, خَالِدِينَ fiha abada." Sometimes you'll see an ayah saying, خَالِدِينَ fiha illa." MashaAllah. Accept that which God wills. Because ultimately, hell and its state, we can result in being a person who while we are in hell, we begin to actually reflect on our state until eventually you reach a level of purification. Don't think that everyone goes to hell, stays in hell forever. Because even then, I might begin to question my Lord and say, My Lord, 60 years the person wasn't religious. They stay in hell for 60 billion? Yes. Some might stay in hell for 60 billion because Yazid. If you gave him a million chances to do Tawbah, he'd never do Tawbah. Then there are others, no. Others may have committed sins. And those people ultimately will be in hell for a certain period until... Allah decides. Eventually, Allah will take them out. But the question arises that why is it the one who commits suicide? Why is it so forbidden? And there's a number of reasons. The first reason it's forbidden is because that person has despaired of the mercy of Allah. And that's the second greatest sin in Islam. If I were to ask all of you, what's the greatest sin in Islam? What would you say is the greatest sin in Islam? What's number one? Shirk. We all agree? The greatest sin in Islam is shirk. What's number two? Despair. Someone says, wait, so number two is not zina? No. Of course, that's not an excuse to go and do it. Number two is not alcohol? No. Number two is not, for example, other forms of pleasures? No. The second greatest sin in Islam is despairing of God's mercy. Why? When life is going too tough for me, and I turn around to myself and I say that the pressure has got to me because of the creation. Yes, the creation may not be able to help you, but how dare you put the creator and the creation on the same level. I may not have someone at work who could give me a loan when I'm bankrupt. A community member who may not be able to give me a loan when I'm bankrupt. But that does not mean that my Lord cannot open the doors of rizq for me in a different way. How dare I as a human being subject the creator to the laws of the creation? A creator who allowed a virgin to give birth and broke the laws of science when he took the holy prophet peace be upon him and his family to the highest of heavens. Is not that creator the one who can change your situation in a second? Imagine now. I find myself in a very desperate situation. You know what, bro? I'm never going to change. I'm burning in hell. Nothing's going to change for me. No one's going to like me. No one's going to help me. How dare you turn around and put the creation at the same level as the creator? On the contrary, you should say, I despair of creation, but I'll never despair of you. Never, oh Allah, 
do I despair of your mercy? If the whole of humanity lets me down, while I have you, I'm the wealthiest. If everyone neglects me, while I have you, I'm the wealthiest. If I fail at school in my exams, and I think, you know what? You know what? I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to pass. No, on the contrary, turn around, move that despair. Have tawakkul that the Lord can inspire me to make it. If at work things aren't going well, and the creation will tell you you'll never do well. No, I, you may think I won't do well. My Lord will open a door for me. Why do you think Ahlul Bayt always leave supplications for things like rizq all the time? Those supplications for things like rizq are telling you that, listen, talk to Allah. You may despair of the creation. Never despair of the creator. Someone who commits suicide in some cases is someone who has despaired of Allah's mercy. And someone who has become despondent. Someone asks, what's the difference between despair and despondency? One you reveal outwardly, the other you keep inwardly. What do I mean? One of them is when you tell your friends, you know what, bro, nothing can change for me. No one can help me. The other one is when you keep it inside. There are two types of people in this crowd tonight and watching online. There are those of us who deep inside were like, you know what, I hate life. Nothing's going to change for me. What am I doing here? What's all this about? You know, I just want to leave it. That person keeps it inside. The second is the one who brags about it to his friends. That you know what? Nothing and no one can change my situation. I'm doomed. I'm bad. I'm the worst. No one can help me. Those two are amongst the greatest sins. Because a person at this moment has said, even you cannot change me. That's a great sin. Because ultimately, Allah, if he wants to, can make Yusuf from the bottom of the well sit on the throne of Egypt. True? At the bottom of a well, he was. Then all of a sudden, he was on the top of the throne of Egypt. So the first reason suicide in Islam is one of the greatest sins is because in reality, what you've said is, even you cannot change me. The moment you do that, it's the lowest in Islamic thought. That's number one. Number two, obviously, at the same time, Allah tells us, وَلَا تَقْتُلُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ Do not kill yourselves. Surah 4, verse 29. Because sometimes people ask, if I was looking for a verse on suicide in the Quran, which verse do I look at? Surah 4, verse 29. There's a series of verses in the Quran where God makes it clear. The nafs I've given you is amana. You cannot decide when to take it. وَلَا تَقْتُلُوا النَّفْسَ الَّتِي حَرَّمَ اللَّهِ Surah 17, verse 31 to 33. وَلَا That first verse, what does it say? Do not kill that nafs which God has given you and prohibited from killing. When you see abortion, why would abortion and suicide both be haram? And I know that abortion has its cases where it can be of course, permissible. But generally, why does Islam say abortion is prohibited? Because that child is an amana from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah, but you know what? It was a one-night stand. And you know what? At the end of the day, uh, I don't really know this person. And at the end of the day, you know, it was a, it was a mistake. And so, don't tell me it's a mistake, no mistake. At the end of the day, there's a responsibility. Because this child or this baby has a nafs alongside that flesh. Ultimately, God says in the Quran, Wala taqtulun nafs allati haram Allah. 
do not kill that nafs which God has prohibited you from killing. Yes, some ulama say abortion may be permissible in cases where the mother's life may be in danger, for example. Or there may be social consequences which are too harmful. But generally, the Quran has said to me, the Quran has also said, do not kill your sons out of fear of poverty. Because some people actually do that. They'll kill a child because they're like, I can't afford the child anymore. Then the Quran said, Do not kill yourselves. Outright prohibition on suicide. Someone turns around and says, what if everything's going bad for me? Is there no way that I can relate to someone? Because ultimately, as a Muslim, who do I relate to? I relate to certain role models in my history. Are my role models that I relate to, the prophets, their families, were they all plain sailing in their mental health? Someone says, well, of course they are, they're ma'soom. Okay, were they all plain sailing when it came to their personal life? Everything was going smooth in their personal life, all of them? Can you think of any prophets or their families who had reached a level where they literally said, I prefer to be dead. In the Quran, one lady who is regarded by many as the greatest lady to have walked on the earth, wished that she died. Someone says, who? Maryam. How high is Maryam in Islam? And I want the mothers and the fathers to hear this. Mary is how high in Islam? Mary, how high in Christianity? One of her most famous lines in the Quran, I wish I was dead and forgotten. What? Mary. You're telling me that Mary had thoughts of wishing she was dead. Yes, Mary. In the Quran. In the Quran, in Surah 19, verse 23, Maryam says a line which has baffled me for years. Because if this lady is one of the ladies of Jannah, don't we agree? This lady is one of the highest ladies in the world today. More than three and a half billion people revere her. Yet in the Quran, she said, even I'm human. And even I have thoughts that I wish that I was dead. So don't ever think that you wishing you were dead is necessarily something wrong. It's what you do with that thought that determines what you become. Why did she wish she was dead? For what reason? Because everyone was calling her an adulteress. Do you know when you look at a girl walking into mosque, and you stare at her like you're judging her, be you a male or a female. Do you think that's something kind to do to that person? When you look at a girl and you're like, she doesn't wear hijab properly, she's got makeup all over her face, her hair is showing, her this, her that. Do you think that's kind to someone? That's all you can think of in terms of positivity? Because our religion, by the way, has become a toxic religion of people. There's no positivity in our religion. It's all negativity. You hardly hear praise. You hear when people want to give negative. In terms of positivity, he doesn't see someone saying, MashaAllah, you know what? I haven't seen her in mosque for ages. Look at the difference in the two. Look at the difference. There's one person who looks at her and he'll be like, I remember when she was at school. She was like this. You think that you were good your whole life and masoom that you're throwing stones when you live in a glass house? Isn't that true? Ultimately, when Nabi Isa was told about the adulteress, he said, those of you who cast the stone, the ones with no sin on their shoulders. I looked at Maryam in the Quran. Psychologically, Maryam, why do you want to die? What is it that's causing you to want to die? And I'm telling you one thing. In our Muslim community, there are many Maryams. 
After pregnancy, postnatal depression, Maryam becomes alive. I want to die. Look at the body change. And on top of my body change, he's making fun of me. He is not appreciating what I'm going. And on top of that, he doesn't want to spend time with me. I spent nine months with his kids, and now he has no interest in being with me. Why am I here? Maryam السلام, became an icon when it came to the suffering that a person may go through with thoughts. But you know what she did? She blatantly came out with the thought, Ya laytani qabla hadha wa kuntu I wish I had died before all of this has erupted and that I was someone forgotten long gone. Maryam, you? You're like one of the holiest people I've ever met. Holy people doesn't mean people who are always strong. Because even holy people develop mental strength. Holy people face the pressures you face. They are also tested with those difficult times. The whole of the children of Israel were saying, she's committed zina blatantly. How could she be pregnant? She's definitely a zania. Do you know when you call a girl in your community a zania? Do you know how much that hurts that girl? There are girls in our mosques who left our mosques because all we could ever do was judge them instead of welcome them. We looked at them and we judged them. And they left because what was the point of coming to a community that was so toxic? Maryam alayhi salam, her line became an inspirational line that even I, a mother of a prophet of Allah, can still have a moment where I wish that I was dead. That's one. Another lady in the Quran who was in a state of fear or grief. Suicide is based on two things. Fear or grieving something. Wouldn't you agree? Put any suicide case. It's either fear of the future or grief of the past. There's one lady in the Quran. Allah told her in a direct communication, do not fear, do not grieve. Moses' mum. Imagine you're a lady, you give birth. You've got no husband there at that moment to protect you. Community cannot be told about your birth. You're in an extreme difficult moment. You now wonder, where do I put this child of mine? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Quran says, We reveal to the mother of Musa, make sure you suckle him. You fear for him, place him in the basket. Let him go down the river. Nile. Do not fear, nor be in a state of grief. Which means what? A mother of a prophet of Allah went through severe anxiety of fear and grief. A prophet's mom? Are you serious? Yes, a prophet's mom. Yeah, but a prophet's mom is like the holiest lady. A prophet's mom is human, and you're human as well. You having fear about what's about to happen, or you grieving about the past, that's acceptable in Islam. It's not haram. We should be more accepting of people who open up about their fears and their grief. Our mosques have to be more open about that. Question is, how did these two come out of those feelings of wanting to die or being in a state of fear or grief? They showed us two ways. One way is talk to Allah directly. Another way, talk to someone chosen by Allah. Very important points here. I'm feeling suicidal. I'm feeling like I want to take my life. What do I do? What do I do? Let's see what they did. Maryam alayhi salam, Moses' mom. 
Maryam taught us one thing. Speak to the ma'soom of your time who's alive. Allahu Akbar, what a point. Moses, what's the first, uh, uh, Maryam's, uh, what's the first thing she does? She's told, don't talk until the baby, yeah? And then she points at the baby. And then she opens up to the baby. Why? The first way you recover when these thoughts start spiraling out of control, talk to the imam of your time. How many of us talk to the imam of our time here in this crowd? I want you to be blatant about this. How many of you? How many of you blatantly say, I'll tell you, myself. I myself, in preparation for majalis, there are certain things which I look at and I'm uncertain of the reference or uncertain of the incident. Do you know what I do at that moment? Close the book, I walk away, I'm like, you sort it out. I don't speak to my imam in reality. I don't hear his voice. But I'll tell you what, if shaitan can whisper negative to me, Fatima's grandson can also whisper positive to you. If you believe it. No, no, don't worry about subhanallah. Not subhanallah. You, you, you believe he's with you or no? There's a realization that the Shia have to come to. Do you really believe he's alive or not? There are some, believe you me, they have shown more love, more love to people in their work life and their business life than the imam of their time. I don't think they believe he's alive. If you believe someone's alive, you always WhatsApp them, don't you? You message them, don't you? You talk to them, don't you? If you believe the imam of your time is alive, open up. Say, ya sahib al-asr wa-zaman. Open up, talk. I'm going through a difficult time. I miss my family. I miss my parents. I find it hard to recover. I financially, I'm going through a difficult time. Maryam recovered because she spoke to the ma'soom son of hers in her time. She literally opened up to her son. There weren't many others to open up to. Have you opened up to the imam of your time? Believe you me, sit sometimes in solitude. You know people, they don't come Thursday nights. Sometimes you'll hear them saying, oh, the lecturer is not someone I want to listen to. You don't come Thursday nights for the lecturer. You come just to sit and relax and let the mind be at peace. If the lecture is positive, it's positive. But if it's not positive, at least the dua that you hear relaxes your soul. The first thing, therefore, that Maryam taught us, talk to the ma'soom of your time. Open up. Moses' mom said, talk directly to Allah if you want. How many of us open up directly to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in our most difficult moments? I ask you, how many of us just blatantly open up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and say, Ya Allah, I'm going through a difficult one and I need your help and I need your support. Someone says, where was this shown the best? In the life of Rasulullah Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. I'm going to request one movement towards the front. Sallu ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. Please get closer, a bit closer. If you don't mind, just keeping that door closed, if you don't mind. Allahumma salli ala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi, there are a couple of ayahs in his life, they show what he was going through. People ask me sometimes, what's your favorite ayah in the Quran? What's your favorite ayah in the Quran? 
For me, my favorite ayah in the Quran, in my position as a public figure, everyone focus please. In my position as a public figure, favorite ayah in the Quran, فَلَا يَحْزُنْكَ قَوْلُهُمْ Don't let their words grieve you. Surah Yasin, we've read it every Thursday since we were one. Surah 36, verse 76. Don't let their words grieve you. As a public figure, that verse gives me unbelievable strength. Because if Muhammad could be attacked, who said Ammar? If Rasulullah could be attacked, could be mocked, could be ridiculed. Who am I when the greatest man to have ever walked on this earth could not make everyone agree on what they said? The Quran, however, his Lord does something interesting. His Lord tells him with a pat on the back, don't let their words grieve you, which means even his greatest creation went through moments of real loneliness. Loneliness. For Allah to tell Jibra'il, go to him now and say to him, don't let their words grieve him. How sad must he have been? Where in particular? His uncle Abu Talib when he died. It broke his heart. Absolutely broke his heart. Because his uncle was his backbone. His uncle was his pillar of strength. When his uncle Abu Talib died, his preaching in Mecca, how many people converted, you think? In my majlis today, I have more people in my majlis today than Rasulullah converted to Islam in Mecca. In Mecca, Rasulullah converted in Mecca not more than 150 people. Medina. Afwaja. Medina, they were coming in droves. The barakah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the charisma of Rasulullah. Mecca, it caused him sadness. He's trying, they're not coming. His uncle Abu Talib died, so he thought, you know what, if it's not working in Mecca, where did he go to try and preach the message? Mecca, he went first to where? Ta'if. Ta'if. People would go there on holiday, cool weather, chilled. Quraysh's aristocratic landlords. They had their properties in Ta'if. You know the chalets and in the summer people have their houses in certain areas which are a bit cooler. Utba and Shaiba of the aristocrats of Mecca, of the Quraysh pillars, they had their holiday homes there. Rasulullah went there. He started to preach and talk to the people. What was his aim? To open the mind of those who were close-minded. Ultimately, what was he trying to do? The mind of those who were close-minded. Open it. Try and tell them that, Baba, Wallah, open your mind. Have free thought. Stop being stubborn on your opinion even when the facts are so blatant. He was trying his hardest to talk to them. What did they do to him? They literally pelted him with stones. Bleeding everywhere. Bleeding. The greatest creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Blood all over his face. Utbah and Shaybah, when they were watching this, because where did Rasulullah go and rest? He went and rested by a tree in the orchard. He sat there and he's bleeding everywhere. At that moment, I want to ask him one question. 
You've tried everything and it's not working in the world that you are in. Yours was preaching. Others, it's finance. Others, it's medicine. Others, it's education. Others, it's family. At that moment, Ya Rasul, how would you get out of that rut? How do you get out? It's difficult. You're bleeding profusely. He got out by reciting a supplication. That supplication is a beautiful dua. Because it's of the duas that I would recommend anyone who has suicidal thoughts. Yeah? If you have a real anxious, depressed moment in your life, depression going on and on and on, recite this dua. This is one of them. In that dua, when he breaks it down, there's certain wonderful things that he says. First line, I complain to you, Allah, of the suffering that I face. It's all right. It's all right. You can complain to God. There's nothing wrong. Ultimately, the Lord who put me on this earth is not going to close his ears from listening to me. He tells me, When my servant asks you about me, tell them I'm near. I answer the supplication of the supplicants when they supplicate towards me. The Lord is near. Oh Allah, I complain to you. You are the Lord of the weak and the oppressed. And you allow me to be in this state. But if it brings you pleasure that this is the trial that I face, then so be it, O oh Allah. For that which brings you pleasure, I'm ready to submit to. O oh, you whose light shattered the universe which was gloom and brought about brightness, I ask you to bring about light in my life as well. He complains, but then he says, but I submit to your will. Maybe what I'm going through is maybe because of you strengthening me for something greater, for something tougher. At that moment, who came to him? This guy came to him with grapes. A Christian man came to him with grapes by the name of Udas because he was inspired that this man's got blood all over his face, but the man still thanks his Lord for whatever he's gone through. On the one hand, the dua, that's one. What's another dua to recite if you have suicidal thoughts? If someone was to ask you, a brilliant dua. And one of the treasures of Imam Musa al-Kadhim, dua, Jawshanil, no. Not Kabir. Sagheer. Dua, Jawshanil. Many people recite dua, Jawshanil. Kabir. In Shah Ramadan, people recite Dua Jawshanil. Kabir. But when I've got enemies surrounding me from the jinn and the ins, min al jinnati wal nas, correct? In life, you have enemies who are jinn and you have some humans who are jinns as well. So, because in, in Iraq, when someone's naughty as a kid, they call him jinni. You're a jinni. Because he's like a demon. The kid just won't sit down. So they call him jinni. Anyway, I have enemies and I don't know what to do. And it's all affecting me and now I want to take my life. There are people who just say, you know what, enough's enough. If I just go to a bridge somewhere and just... Or if I just take some pills, overdose. Or if I, for example, take a rope and so on. Dua Jawshan al-Saghir Imam Musa al-Kadhim. He specifically talks to Allah to ward off the enemies who are hurting them. Specific. Dua Jawshan al-Saghir 
Imam Musa al-Kadhim, if you are facing those difficulties, pick up that dua. Imam al-Kadhim, you know, the prisons of Harun al-Rashid were affecting him in his life. Enemies in those prisons, he recited that dua. That's one of the treasures I would give to anyone who's facing a crisis with their mental health because of the enemies that surrounded them. Now someone says, which ayah of the Quran would you recite if I'm facing difficulties? The best ayah to recite if you feel that you've been overpowered by fear, by grief, by sadness, by isolation, loneliness. The best ayah, Surah 54 verse 10. فَدَعَى رَبَّهُ أَنِّي مَغْضُوبٌ أَنْتَصِرُ and he called out to his Lord, I've been overpowered, so help me be victorious. Who said that? Which prophet? He called out to his Lord, I have been overpowered, so help me. Which prophet? Noah. Noah called out to his Lord, that I've been overpowered by these people. I've been overpowered by these feelings, these thoughts. It can affect everybody. I've been overpowered. So Allah, allow me to achieve victory. If you feel lonely sometimes, depressed sometimes, you feel down sometimes, there's two options you can have. One is the amanat of your nafs that you have. You destroy it through your own actions. Don't think that committing suicide is sometimes not blatantly the fault of the human. Sometimes it's blatantly the fault of the human. Their nafs, Allah gave it to them pure. One minute weed non-stop as a cure for their loneliness. The next minute drinking alcohol as a cure to remind themselves to stay away from it. These are only going to bring worse waswasa and worse thoughts until eventually. Allah did not give you a nafs that leads you to weed all day. Especially a lover of Imam al-Hussein alayhi salam. How would he face Imam al-Hussein saying that I was one of those who smoked weed? How? How? Or a lover of Imam al-Hussein would not be someone who took his nafs to drinking alcohol. Because you might as well say that I would have been Yazid on the 10th of Muharram, not Aba Abdullah. Yes? So on the one hand, you can destroy the nafs that Allah gave you. On the other hand, no. You can reach a level where that nafs which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave you, you purify it with those du'as, with those Qur'anic thoughts, with those Qur'anic ayats. My friend died. And when he died, someone asked me, can janazah be done or it can't be done? Janazah must be done. Islamic rights all the way. All the way. Someone's like, hold on a minute, bro. That means that if I can have a janazah at the end, why can't I commit suicide? What do you mean you can't? Those are not to come together. Ultimately, when a person commits suicide, either intentionally or there are some, only Allah knows what they're going through. Don't judge the person. Someone dies in your community. Sometimes we have this habit that, you know what? I'm sure they're in hell. No, no. Their mental state, were they still in control of themselves or they weren't in control? There is a major area in fiqh which discusses sanity. Even in non-Muslim legal courts, they talk about sanity. Was this person sane when they did what they did? You'll see that. Likewise in Islamic law, sanity is fundamental. I may have done something and I'm not in control. Ultimately, if that person dies, what do I do? 
I make sure that number one, I straight away prepare janazah at the mosque for them. Someone says, have they not become a kafir? No way. I've seen people who do la ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. They die as what? They remain dying as Muslim, but as sinners. I ask you, if you die as a Muslim sinner, do you get a janazah in the mosque or no? Would every Muslim die as religious? Does every Muslim die religious? Do they get a janazah at the mosque? Yes. The person could have been with drugs three hours before and the Mawlana and his salah. I knew no evil from him. Allahu Akbar. Person could have been drinking alcohol a day before. And that's why Ahlul Bayt always say, Ya Allah, always say to Allah, let my last moment be in your submission. Sometimes people say, why is it haram to go clubs and parties and so on? Because you don't know if that's going to be your last place that you die. And if it is the last place, there's not many answers to give after that. So, a Muslim sinner, that's a suicide, a person who's committed suicide, is a Muslim sinner, not a kafir. He is someone who has committed a grave sin. That person, can we pray over him? Yes. We wash their body? Yes. We do ghusl kafan? Yes. We do salah for them? Yes. We bury them in the Muslim graveyard? Yes. We read Fatiha for them? Yes. We pay sadaqah because you know the best thing to do to someone who has died and is in the world of barzakh is pay sadaqah. That is the thing that brings them the most happiness. Pay sadaqah for them? Yes. All of these things we must do. If all of these things we must do, then Allah in reality is saying one thing to us. Don't judge them. Leave the judging to me. If I'm the one who's saying to you they're in the qabristan, salah, ghusl, kafan, and I can read dua, can a mom go and visit her son who has died because they've committed suicide? Yes. Father, yes. Can they sit there and have Majlis al Hussein next to their grave? Yes. Can they cry? Yes. Because ultimately I cannot judge the person. I will make it clear. It is haram, sin, hell. But on the other hand, who is the one who decides what happened in those last moments and what's that? That's only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ultimately, instead of us being concerned about sending people to heaven, let's be uh, sending people to hell. Let's be more concerned about how we're going to get to heaven, inshallah. If now I want to look at role models who faced major trials, I looked at Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa and I found that he faced a trial with people attacking him both physically and verbally. Bukhari, of course, Bukhari says that Muhammad wanted to commit suicide a few times. When he received revelation, he wanted to jump off a cliff. If that's my prophet, then why has he been chosen? I could have done the job. If, I'm gonna jump, if you're going to jump off the cliff, no. My prophet would never jump off a cliff. My prophet would never be suicidal. My prophet taught me in the face of difficulty, this is what you do. Amir al-Mu'mineen lost his wife at a young age with orphans. He taught me how to remain strong, even though the whole world turned against that man. Likewise, Imam al-Hassan and Imam al-Hussein, they taught us we are orphans from the age of six and seven. We didn't take our lives, nor did we go around saying that we want to commit suicide. On the contrary, Ya Allah, I trust your plan. I know there's a hereafter. I know there's a day of judgment and a day of justice and that this world is not the only world. So therefore, I'll have the willpower to get through all this. Of course, they would tell us, but that doesn't mean you neglect someone who has these thoughts. 
Ring up people, call people, let them come and sit with you. A person who is thinking suicide just wants to talk to somebody. When they talk to somebody, you don't know the world of difference it makes. And that's why for some members of Ahlul Bayt, they are the ones we hold on to when we have those thoughts. What do we mean? I may lose a mother, but I don't lose the whole of my family in one afternoon. Yes. I may lose brothers, but I don't see my children slapped in front of me. Yes. I may lose wealth, but I don't see the brother I love the most with his arms taken from him. I may lose everything in my life in terms of my health, but I don't see the number of arrows on the body of Abba Abdullah that hurt him in that way. What we mean by that is, that if ever anyone says my life's hard, don't forget the ladies that carried the message of Karbala. Yes? That's a difficult life. To stand there and see your boys killed in front of you. To stand there and see your six-month-old baby with an arrow right through his neck. To stand there and see horses galloping all over your husband's body. That's when a person, you can look at them and you could say, I won't blame you if you commit suicide. But did they? No, they didn't. No, 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 they didn't. They said, Ya Allah, I submit to your will. Ya Allah, as that famous lady said, accept from me this little sacrifice. This is a little sacrifice, O oh Allah, for what you've given back to me. Oh Allah, I trust you and I trust what you give me. And you know, sometimes I think to myself, if there's one lady, I wouldn't blame her, even though she would never. But I would never blame her if she went down a path where she complained about what happened in her life. Umm al-Baneen, yes. You're a mom, your kids go to school, they're going to be back by 3 o'clock, by 2 o'clock, by 4 o'clock. You send one kid to school or two, you want them to be back home both safe. Imagine sending four sons, yes? You send four sons and the four sons are the apples of your eyes. And you bid farewell to those four boys, Abbas and his brothers, yes? You think to yourself, there'll be a day I'll see my boys. There'll be a day they'll come back. And imagine you as a mom, you keep waiting and waiting. Any news from Karbala? No news. Any news from Karbala? No news. Is there any news about what's happened in Karbala? There's no news until one day she heard an announcement. There is news from Karbala. Yes? That lady had waited months since she bid farewell to her boys. All of a sudden at that moment she came up to the man. She said, I heard you have news about Karbala. He said to her, I do. She said, tell me. He said to them, who is this lady who is asking? They said to him, this is Abbas's mother. He looked at her and he said, may Allah reward you over the death of your son Abdullah. 
What did she reply? I said to you that she sent four sons, correct? So she's obviously going to ask about her four sons. Not Umwil Benin. Those four sons, all of them are for one man. She said, tell me, tell me about Abba Abdullah. He said to her, may Allah reward you over the death of your son Ja'far. She said to him, tell me, tell me about Abba Abdullah. She said to him, he said to her, may Allah reward you over the death of your son Uthman. She said, tell me, tell me about Abba Abdullah. The next line all of you know. She said to him, and he said to her, may Allah reward you over the death of your son Abbas. She had a Belfast child in her hand. She dropped the child. She fell on the ground. When he mentioned the name of Abbas, she had waited six months to see Abel Fals for a moment. And that moment she said, tell me, tell me about Abba Abdullah only. If you gave me all the heavens and the earth and you gave me 70 Abbas, I'll swap all of them just to see Abba Abdullah's face. That lady, her heart, you could say to Umul Banin, how do you have that strength? You lost your four boys. She said, you tell me about my sons. My son is Hussein. Abbas is Fatima's son. Imagine that line. Imagine that passion. When she, Sayyidah Zainab had of course returned because these ladies, on a night like this, we remember they left Medina. They bid farewell to each other. So she hasn't seen Zainab for months. Yes, she went towards the house of Zainab. Zainab had told Bibi Fadla, don't let anyone come and see me. My heart is broken. I've lost everything. When the door knocked, Fadla walked towards the door. When she opened the door, she saw Umul Benin in front of her. When she saw Umul Benin, at that moment she welcomed Umul Benin. Zainab ran to Umul Barin and Umul Barin ran to Zainab. One of them shouting, Wa Husayna, and the other calling out, Wa Abbasa. Six months since I saw you. Tell me, tell me about Karbala and what you saw. Tell me how about Abdullah was. Tell me, tell me. Tell me about Akbar and Qasim. Tell me about the six-month-old baby. How is he? Above all else, listen to this line which one poet said. Tell me what are those bruises on your cheeks. Explain what happened to you, Zainab. Please tell me. Inna lillah wa inna alayhi raji'oon. Ya Allah, raise us with Muhammad and Al Muhammad. Ya Allah, those who face difficulties in our community, give them strength in their hard times, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, those of our marhumin who may have gone in the way of suicide, show them your ultimate mercy, Ya Allah. We pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to raise us with Muhammad and Al Muhammad. 
the originators of this majlis, Ya Allah. Bless them with the shafa'ah of Muhammad and al-Muhammad. Let's all recite the dua together. For all of us on this night who are muttar, we are compelled, we're in difficulties, but we've not opened up about them. Let's all recite a dua together, all of us, my dear brothers and sisters. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Amman yujibu al-muttar idha da'a wa yakshibu su. All together with your hands raised. Amman yujibu al-muttar idha da'a. Amman yujibu al-muttar idha da'a. Amman yujibu al-muttar idha da'a. This is for all of you who face one particular struggle. Think of the struggle and recite the ayah with the tear coming from your eye. Ya Sahib al-Asri wa zaman help all of us who face our difficulties. We call out to you on these nights of Muharram. We pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the Surah Al-Fatiha, but before it, the loudest of your salawat.